Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres social hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I am Jesse Agler. We got a fun one for you coming up in a little bit. We'll visit with Jeff Hassan of ESPN and ESPN.com. He has been at the center of the baseball world, it seems like, these last few weeks, trying to figure out what is going on with the Major League season in 2020. It is an excellent conversation with him. I promise you don't want to miss it. We will also argue about the top center fielders in Padres history, and we will do that with my lovely co-hosts this evening, Bob Scanlon and AJ Casavell of MLB.com. I blame AJ for that because he put together a list in which we will uh, uh, form our arguments around, I guess. Uh, great to have you both back here. Thank you very much. And uh, Scans, uh, judging by your Twitter earlier today, you have, you've gone deep down the Netflix rabbit hole during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, AJ, great to see you guys, Padre fans everywhere. Thanks for joining us. And yes, Jesse, I, I have. And during the regular season, I don't have time or the energy or the sleep reserve to watch some of these TV programs, but I keep hearing about them. So finally, my wife and I were able to indulge. We've invested some time and we've really enjoyed Homeland, Ozark and Money Heist. Those are the three that we've gotten through. So and I put it out to my Twitter followers to give me some more suggestions. I've got about 70 suggestions right here of new shows to watch. So Jesse, AJ, if you got any shows that you think I have to watch, please let me know. Those are all winners. Cassavelle, what's been uh, your, your drink of choice, I guess, on TV so far during quarantine? Well, we've been watching Sons of Anarchy and the first, the first five seasons were like really good. We got really into it. And then, uh, the last two seasons we just haven't and now it feels like a chore we have like five episodes left to go and it's like we have to watch these five episodes because we can't go we can't go through this entire show and leave it with five episodes to go i want to find out how it finishes but it's kind of become a slog so it's a great it's a great show in my opinion for about five seasons and then it just slows down a little bit at the end and the storylines get a little hard to digest but i would allow me to recommend scan a, a show that almost probably takes a similar 
uh, tacked to what I said, but Lost is one of my all-time favorite shows, and I, I believe it's still readily available on Netflix. The ending is also bad, but I would recommend just watch the first five seasons and then cut it off right there, pretend the show's over. Wait, I don't understand how you can advise me to invest hours and hours of my life into a, a show, into five or six seasons, right, Jesse? I mean, back me up here. It's about the journey. Differently. And, and it's then- about the journey. No, but not if you don't have some kind of a, a payoff at the end. I mean, is, is the squeeze worse the juice, right, Jess? I mean, at the same time, how many shows actually have great endings? I feel like it's a very short list. Well, that's true. And that's why I, I thought Homeland did a really nice job. So I left Homeland not feeling disappointed because I'm, I'm not going to be a spoiler. I'm not going to give you away. I just felt like they did a nice job of wrapping up a lot of loose ends. And uh, it, was, it was a good way to end it. And you're right, because most of the time the topic afterwards is, well, that was a terrible ending for a great yeah. show. Along those lines, that reminds me of The Americans, which hasn't been on for a couple of years now. I thought that was one of the best finales I've, I've ever seen. I don't know if you watched that show when it was on. I don't even know which streaming service, if any, it's available now. Add it to your list. Uh, very good show. And, and I thought one of the best finales ever, my own personal thing. It's on here. I had, I had a bunch of Twitter followers recommend that one as well. And there's a payoff at the end, Jess. I appreciate the scouting report. Absolutely. I try and give you a, a, something to look forward to as opposed to this guy with his thumbs down at the end. <laughs> I really want to say AJ and I are very similar people when it comes to baseball, but when it comes to entertainment, it's like there's nothing we have in common. It's kind of funny. <laughs> well, we both like soccer, even if we like very drastically yeah. different teams by levels of success. Ah, very good. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, some of us are front runners, others of us are not. Uh, when, 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 when it comes to Korean baseball, though, no one can accuse us of being front runners uh, because here on Padres Social Hour, we have adopted KT Wiz. As our team, uh, if you've been watching the show with any kind of regularity, you're probably sick of me explaining why we chose KT Wiz, but I'll give like the brief synopsis for those who perhaps are not aware. Uh, basically, we wanted to look for a team, A, that had never won before, because let's let's get in at the ground floor. Uh, they're kind of a younger team. I like the mascot, honestly. That's part of it. Wiz, Wizards, kind of cool. Uh, and uh, Odris Mare Despagne, our old friend from the Padres, is not only on their roster, but he was the opening day starter yesterday. Uh, for KT Wiz in what, unfortunately, guys, was a defeat on opening day. 7-2 to two final score. First of all, just seeing this guy pitch like gave me the kinds of happiness that I didn't know I was capable of right now, which perhaps says a little bit something about me. But also, I think just where we are in the world right now, Despagne was rock solid in what was eventually a 7-2 loss. OD went six innings. He allowed a run on four hits, struck out eight. Didn't factor into the decision, unfortunately, because the bullpen gave this game away. We'll see if that becomes a trend for the Wiz. But AJ, <laughs> he looked like the guy I remember. Yeah, he was dealing for about four innings. And then I, I think maybe the second, third time through the lineup, he, he had a little penalty there. But, I mean, he was adding, subtracting, doing what you kind of expect Adrisimer Despagne to do. <laughs> and at one point, I want to say in the in the fourth inning with two outs, I considered, and this is this will be the first no-hitter jinx of the season, I considered tweeting something about it because he had a perfect game aside from a strike three down the middle that the catcher dropped and turned into a pass ball. And so uh, he was dealing at the start. I think probably, I mean, maybe this bullpen, maybe that'll be an issue for the Wiz. <laughs> it's not like I have, any, I have much KT Wiz background info to give you, but... Uh, I had planned on maybe watching a couple innings and he was pitching so well that I kept watching until he was done. And then I think as I was getting ready to go to bed, uh, some reliever gave up a three run bomb. And then that was, that was the end of my attention span for the night. So guys, I, whenever I think of KT with my first thought was we chose this team because it reminds me of cheese whiz or something like that. <laughs> but I, I, I must say seeing the Spanier throw, 
is fun no matter what. I don't know about you guys, but when he was in a Padres uniform, he was one of my favorite players. And it, it, not just because he was a, he was a really fun person to talk to in his background uh, coming from Cuba, but the way he pitched, I, I, yeah. he had so much fun out on the mound. It was just fun to watch him out there. He was having a good time. He would bamboozle guys. He would you know, speed them up, slow them down. I just thought he was an entertaining pitcher in general. So it's always fun to see him back out there, even if it's over in Korea instead of here in the United States. Yeah, I'm with you. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, there was the near no hitter against the Mets. I remember that Sunday afternoon. Uh, and it was like, oh, man, this thing's getting serious. Obviously, <laughs> he didn't have it. And we're still waiting on that whole thing. But it is what it was. AJ mentioned the bullpen gave it away. And again, we'll, we'll keep our eye on that. We don't want that to become a trend for the Wiz here in 2020. Uh, but you mentioned that the two relievers each gave up three runs after Despania left the game. Poor Lee Song Hua. And again, apologies, my goodness, on the pronunciations. I really am trying my best, but um, I don't have too much familiarity with, with Korean names. He he did the thing you don't want to do on opening day, which is to allow runs and not record an out. Because right now, officially, his ERA, it's infinity. And, and that's, that's not where you want to be. But uh, one of the guys that we're excited about, aside from Despania, is the former outfielder and rookie of the year in 2018 in the KBO. Now he's a first baseman for our whiz, uh, Gang Bak Ho. He had 29 home runs two years ago, and he went deep on opening day to give him a 2-1 lead. That's a nice swing, Scan Man. That's a nice swing. Well, it's a nice swing, but I think from my perspective, I'm looking at the the head hanging of the pitcher, Dan Straley. He's, he's got the old hanging slider right there. He threw him a first pitch backdoor slider, which was beautiful. I'm like, oh, that's great. And he tried to duplicate it. Instead, he left it on the inner half. And we know what happens to those. They end up in the stands. And is that the worst mascot in baseball? That guy scared the heck out of me. I'm terrified of that mascot. But the hey, hanging slider, it just goes to prove that uh, it, it's a loser no matter where you're, where you're playing. Yeah, that's that's one of the two mascots. They look pretty much the same, but one is white and one is black. I believe it's Didori is the white one. I forget the, the black one's name, but uh, it's a it's a pretty stellar thing. But yeah, man, he takes former Padre Dan Straley deep. There was no great uh, no great bat flip there. But AJ, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people going into this, the thing they knew perhaps exclusively about the KBO was the prevalence. He is very creepy. The prevalence of the bat flip. <laughs> What, what what's your sense and your feeling about how we discuss bat flips in in the KBO and baseball generally now? Uh, well, I I think that is like kind of probably if you go back to last season, what we knew about the KBO, one of the things was the bat flips, and that was kind of front and center. And my I'll, I'll say this: my take on bat flips, and I don't want to get I don't want to get kind of on a tangent here. I don't want to maybe put, pay, paint myself in like an anti bat flip light, but I've changed my take on them. I think. Last night, people got so got so jazzed up about bat flips that maybe like the bat flip is fine. Guys should be expressing themselves, and I think Eduardo Perez did a really good job of saying of of explaining this when he during ESPN's intro. He kind of said something along the lines of, "Hey, when you score a goal in soccer, you go and celebrate. When you hit home run in baseball, the way it works in Korea and in, in a few other places in the world, probably more so than the United States, is you celebrate by flipping your bat, and all that's great. I want to see my players having personality." But that's what everyone got jazzed up about, not the home run itself. And so I, I, I understand that this is probably not a popular t- opinion on a, on, on a social media-driven show, but maybe let's, let's focus a little more on the homers and a little less, a little less on the bat flits because I think we want to get to a place where it's kind of commonplace that guys express themselves. And it's not a big deal if they get excited that they hit a home run. You know, AJ, I, 
I've actually come a long way in this area also. Now, as a former pitcher and, a, and an old, you know, old school guy at that, obviously that was verboten when I was playing, right? If a guy flipped his bat or even looked at you strange, that was grounds for hitting him in the ribs. And so that changed a little bit. When I was with Sammy Sosa and the Cubs, he was one of those guys that played with a lot of expression. And I began to appreciate it a little bit more and started to understand, look, guys just want to have fun playing the game. And so I've come a long way in terms of having some leniency of how guys express themselves. My, my problem with it, AJ, is this. To me, it's, it's become so common. Like if you're starting to see them every single home run, it's not like soccer. Soccer, a lot of times you have one goal a game, and that's the difference in the game. Home runs, we see a ton of them now. So do we really need to be bat flipping on all of these home runs? I don't think so. If you're going to bat flip, have it be for something relevant. If it's a game-changing moment, if it's a game winner, if it's something really exciting and is deserving of that kind of celebration yeah go for it let's have some fun and show some passion but every single one i don't know it, to me it starts it loses, it loses its flavor I'll, i'm gonna disagree with that i think it's cool like if you had a home run in the major leagues if you've worked your whole life for that moment hit a home run in the major leagues flip your bat go crazy do what you want my my point of contention is just that i don't know that we all need to make a huge deal out of someone being excited that they hit a home run because they hit they hit the home run like that's 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 the exciting part, the home run, not necessarily the bat flip, at least in my opinion. And if people, if people are going to tune into the KBO because of the bat flips, more power to them. That's not just not why I'm watching. Uh, Skin, rather- let, me, let me ask you, uh, just we're talking about this and, and the attention now that's on this league that was fairly under the radar from a fan perspective in this country. Obviously, the teams themselves, the, the different major league franchises, they've been scouting the KBO as they have uh, Nippon Baseball League in Japan for many years now. And, and I guess the CPBL as well. But do you, do you think these guys at all are kind of aware of that attention? Could there be added pressure for certain guys? Maybe somebody who feels like he, he has an opportunity to, to break out and, and show an American audience, hey, maybe I belong in the major leagues? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it, Jesse. And we actually felt this. You got to put some context to this comment that I'm about to make. But there used to be a Saturday night game in, in Major League Baseball. It's sort of the game of the week type of thing. And I remember that even as Major League players, because not all of our games were televised. In fact, in Milwaukee, most of our games weren't televised. So I remember players actually commenting that, wow, hey, guys, we're the game of the week this week. It was a big deal that you were on television. It was a big deal that people were going to be watching you. And I know as a former player who, towards the end of my career, was trying to make that transition back to the big leagues by playing in the Mexican League, by playing in a lot of the winter ball leagues, I knew when there were scouts in the stands and I knew when there was a special opportunity to sort of show off and showcase myself. So, yeah, I think that these guys do realize that the entire world, the entire baseball world is focused on them now. And this is a great opportunity for some of these guys to prove what they can do, show off a little bit. And at the same time, it's going to expose some guys and we'll find out who can actually perform under the pressure and, and, and who can't. So this is a great opportunity for scouts all throughout Major League Baseball to to, to focus on these guys and see what they're capable of doing. As you pointed out, Jesse, in sort of a unique situation where they're getting viewed and they know they're getting viewed more than they ever have in their life. Yeah. A good way to kind of take the temperature. I shouldn't use that terminology right now, but you know, the competitive <laughs> nature of uh, everybody, they are having their temperatures taken with regularity game two of the season for the Wiz. They'll go for their first win of 2020 uh, tonight at two 30 AM uh, Pacific time, uh, not on ESPN. ESPN's doing a game six days a week. Uh, that's how often they play, uh, which is pretty cool. But this sounds and feels very familiar to, to Padre fans, of course. ESPN, nothing for the Wiz in the first week. Hopefully we find ourselves on ESPN at some point. Maybe we'll do like a, a live chat or a live tweet up or something for that. Other cool things uh, from that game last night before we move on to other stuff. And again, we'll talk to Jeff Passon of ESPN about 
uh, KBO baseball coming up in a little bit. Ceremonial first pitch, obviously, uh, things have to be a little bit different in uh, today's day and age. They got very creative uh, in Suwon last night with this ceremonial first pitch. They put the kid in a baseball bubble, uh, and the two mascots aforementioned, uh, very creepy, uh, one of each color, uh, walk him uh, to home plate. <laughs> And and this was the ceremonial first pitch. They have a batter for the ceremonial first pitch from the other team. But I thought this was kind of cool and, and kind of cute. Again, you know, we're, we're all trying to take ideas here, AJ, of, of what things might have to look like uh, when we kickstart things again in, in the U.S. with Major League Baseball. And and I'll, I'll take this one. I, I like that. That's it's that's that's a decent little idea. Yeah, it's clever. It's creative. And it probably places an emphasis on the fact that we should all be social distancing while even if even if we're going to try and enjoy major league baseball we're going to try and enjoy live baseball there are still it, it is not it's not a, look last night was not a return to normalcy i mean we're yeah. up at 1 1 a.m watching baseball in the kbo that's not a return to normalcy we're not when, <laughs> even when baseball starts it won't be a full return to normalcy uh things are going to be different and the rest of us need to observe the fact that things that we can do can can help ameliorate public health and the safety of others. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was a cool kind of way to mark the occasion. If, if that's what you'd call it an occasion. One, uh, I love, I loved it. I thought it was really creative and I enjoyed that much more than Carl Lewis's first pitch or miss Texas or 50 cent. I don't know if you go <laughs> on the video and take a look at some of the first pitches we've seen. My only thing was, did it look like that hitter wanted to, to hit that giant a little ball bit. coming in? <laughs> I mean, it looked like a Bob Scanlon slider coming in, and the guy wanted to crush it out of the ballpark. I'm just, I'm just glad he didn't swing it and nobody got hurt right there. But that, that was pretty fun, though. That was cool. That could have made for an awkward moment. Uh, this one is cool, too. One other thing our Wiz did uh, was they used uh, the back of their uniforms uh, to send messages to the fans uh, of, uh, of their community last night. Mel Rojas Jr., who's the left fielder and one of the most talented players on the Wiz, he's on second base here in the bottom of the second inning uh, against Straley, and you see the back of his jersey. Uh, love, and then a, a character in Korean. This was told to me on social media uh, that it's saying, he's basically saying on his jersey, love the fans, uh, because, again, they had the opportunity to send a message to the fans out there. I thought that was a really nice idea by the Wiz. This is cool for a couple of other reasons, too. One, uh, Moises Alou and Mel Rojas are cousins, uh, I, I don't know the exact family tree, but of course, Moises works in the Padre organization and scans you pitched with Mel Rojas Sr., his dad, the guy on second base, his dad in Montreal. So that's just another connection between the Wiz and Padre Social Hour. They're, they, they're never ending, right, Jesse? And uh, I thought that was really cool the way they did that, put the name on the back. And you're right, that's that logo. I'd seen the same thing that the Korean symbol on the other side meant fans, so love fans, sort of what the football league many years ago did. And that's a lot better than he hate me on the back of his jersey. But yeah, Mel and I actually played together in Dominican Republic when I was playing for Escojito. And my manager down there was Felipe Alou and just had an amazing experience down there and a lot of good memories of playing winter ball and, and being related or having association in the baseball realm with, with that entire Alou and Rojas family. So it's good to see the, uh, the legacies continue. Very cool stuff. Uh, all right. Another thing, of course, uh, that got some attention on social media. If you missed this, it's outstanding. Uh, umpires, of course, and their strike three calls are, are a part of baseball, no matter where you are on the globe. This was from the LG Twins game. Check out my man behind the dish. This is as fine a strike three punch out as you will ever see starting the lawnmower. <laughs> AJ, how that's do you awesome. particular one? That's that's a 10 out of 10. And I, I I don't I didn't think there was any room for like new and improved umpire punch outs. I thought they kind of had over over the last hundred years, they've perfected all of them. I did not see the lawnmower 
come into I've never seen it before in my entire life at any level. And that includes like just watching games and <laughs> in Little League, being at Little League games, being in high school games. There's never there's never been I've never seen that. And so we can always get better. You know, if, if, if you're looking for the if you're looking for the simple punch out. No, try and do better. Let's do let's let's get creative like this. It's kind of what it's one of those things that gives baseball some of its flavor. I love this one. And it, it sort of remind me of some of the international umpires that I had a chance to experience guys throughout my career. There was one guy in Mexico in particular that would jump, actually jump in the air. <laughs> he, would, he would leap. And on the straight three, he would go way in the air and go, as he was coming down. That guy was a lot of fun. And we kept waiting for him to blow out a hamstring or something over the course of the game. But you got the classics. You have the John McSherry and the Frank Pulley and the Tom Hallions and all those uh, different guys making it creative, but I love the lawnmower. That, that's a great twist on it. So uh, yeah, another, you love another reason to keep watching. You yeah, love the pitchers those are gonna like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm a little biased. What can I say? I, I like them a lot too. But but uh, Ted Lightner, I, I thought made a really good point. We were talking about it at, at some point in the last couple of years, and I think it was probably Tom Hallion that set him off. And he said, you know, umpires hate when a batter will show him up, and he goes, isn't that what the umpire is doing right here? Showing up the batter. It's a fair point. I don't know that I necessarily buy into it because I just enjoy it so much. But I think it's it's very decent food for thought that, that Teddy brings up. But my, my favorite part of this guy in particular is the pause, kind of the hitch, that hesitation. Like <laughs> right before he starts it, it's uh, that's that's really good. But I don't know, man. That's that's uh, forget bat flips. I want that as like the next big thing. I don't know how much you'd love that pause hesitation, though, if you were calling the game, Jesse. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's what I was thinking of Tim McClellan, right? Did we all agree that that was the toughest guy to have behind the plate? There was just silence, 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 and the batter walked away. Everybody else knew what was going on except for us. <laughs> he, Gary uh, Lane was notorious back in the day. He got faster as his career went on, uh, but there was a period of time where Jerry Lane was very, very slow behind the dish. All right, one other piece of news uh, from uh, baseball across the Pacific. Uh, this one from Taiwan, the CPBL, the Chinese professional baseball league they've actually been playing a little bit longer kbo started the regular season last night cpbl got going a couple of weeks ago and uh, they are getting closer perhaps to having some fans in the ballpark uh as recent or as soon as this week uh they're trying to put about a thousand people in the seats later this week so obviously it's it's a wait and see you know like everything else right now but they're gonna they're gonna try and do it and uh, we'll talk to passing about this in a bit bob there is absolutely no question uh, that that Major League Baseball and every other league, I guess, in the world right now is going to be watching everything that takes place in these leagues very, very closely. Not to say they'll be able to do exactly what they're doing, but at least to get some inspiration, some idea, and, and perhaps a sense of what's uh, realistic. I think it's fantastic, both from that perspective that you're talking about, Jesse, and that, look, we, we don't know how this is all going to play out, but if you've got some other leagues that are trying to figure it out, and you can learn from the things that they do that work, the things that they do that don't work. Um, th this is a great Petri dish, so to speak, for the Major League Baseball to watch and see how to incorporate some of these things. But the other thing is, how great is it just to see baseball, guys? And I think that just that alone sort of inspires you and sparks you into saying, okay, okay let's figure this out. It's just great to see baseball back on the field again. How quickly can we get it back to MLB, and hopefully it's soon. All right, we're going to move on now as uh, we, we come back home to San Diego from our uh, journey across the ocean to uh, South Korea and to uh, Taiwan and, and talk about Padre baseball and Padre baseball history. Every Tuesday for the last several weeks, AJ Casavell has been lighting Padre's Twitter on fire uh, by putting out his rankings of the top five guys at whatever position 
This is one of my favorite ones, and I think one of the most debatable ones, AJ. You did center field today. Uh, am I correct in saying it has been, at least for you, in your experience dealing with the fans, one of the most debatable ones so far? Probably. And I, I've also noticed, though, and I think this might uh, touch on a little bit of a return to what some would consider normalcy in that at the very beginning of this, when we didn't know what was going on and there was so much uncertainty about life in general, and I started putting out these lists, everyone was pretty happy, pretty content with them, pretty civil, even when they argued. And now we're just getting people all over the map mad about some of the choices I make. And so that, that to me tells me that at least some people online are, 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 are putting their focus on, on baseball and some other things, and which, which is, a, like we've said a million times, it's a nice distraction. Uh, yeah. I think it's one of the most debatable positions, maybe the most debatable position in the fact that you've got, I don't know, you've got probably three guys you consider for number one. You've got maybe seven or eight guys who, who are in consideration for the top five. Actually, probably even more than that. I went with Steve Finley, number one, and I, there, there's really no, uh, there's no reason. There's no reason I would argue with if you want to put Kevin McReynolds number one, if you want to put Mike Cameron number one based on his, based on their peaks. But Steve Finley, for me, his peak was the highest. He stuck around long enough to be considered kind of a, a counting stat guy. He did it long enough to, to really rack up the numbers. And he did it on two of the best teams in Padres history, 96 and 98. I think his 1996 season, probably the best season by a center fielder in franchise history. He, to me, is the obvious number one. Um, I'm not going to debate you if you have other guys because this is a completely subjective list. Your, your criteria could be something else. But Finley's peak. Finley's longevity over four different seasons and the teams that Finley played for and what he meant to them that that gives that to me puts him in that number one spot he was also a hell of a lot of fun to watch he really was uh, particularly out in the outfield as we're, we're seeing now I, I like this you know I think you make a very very compelling argument I don't think it's as simple as just breaking down war necessarily over the course of, no. of somebody's career he, he accomplished a lot like you said the years specifically that he were he, well, he was here uh, a big part of it as well. We had we had Finns on the show, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, and he's just talking to us with his five gold gloves surrounding him. That's a pretty good reminder uh, that, that he was as bad of a man as he was. Uh, Scans, he, he really was a very, very good player in his era. No question about it. And obviously we have respect for everybody that was on the list. AJ, great job putting it together. And I agree, I think, with both of you guys, certainly with you, AJ. And I think, Jesse, this is where you were heading also, the face Steve Finley stands out. And for me, it's it's a combination of things. It's the things that AJ, you already mentioned about, look, he was a vital part of the 96 and 98 clubs. Those are two historic clubs in the history of this organization. But the other part, and I'm a little bit biased just because I, I didn't play against Johnny Grubb, but, but I did play against Steve Finley. And I remember the, the talks that we had about him in our pitchers meetings about how do you approach this guy? You got to be careful with this. Don't get sloppy with that. He can hurt you on the base pass. He can hurt you with the power game. He can come up with the clutch hit late in the game. It, he was really a force at the plate that we had to spend a lot of time on, on top of the fact that the guy covered center field. I mean, he was one of the smoothest outfielders you'll ever want to watch. Um, so I just think his all-around game, just, again, my bias of knowing what an impact guy he was in terms of being an opponent of his. Um, and the other guy that I spent time with and against was Darren Jackson. So DJ and I used to work out together in Culver City before I even got to the big leagues. I knew Darren Jackson for many, many years. And DJ, when he and I finally faced each other in the big leagues, he actually hit a grand slam home run off me when I was pitching for the Cubs. So, you know, it was fun to see DJ's name on that list as well, because certainly he had an impact while he was in a Padres uniform. But all of these guys um, deserve to be on this list. It's a great debate. But for me, Steve Finley, 
uh, stands out as the guy that uh, made the biggest impact and, and was really a vital part of those winning teams uh, in Padres history. Yeah, and Darren most- Jackson uh, did a lot of great things for the Padres. Really, really good player. Traded away, unfortunately, at a time when the Padres were letting you know some of their uh, what should have been key cogs go, and he he was certainly in the middle of all that. So AJ's top five center fielders uh, in Padre history is up at MLB.com. Just the top five again, if I have this right, AJ. Finley, McReynolds, Cameron, uh, Johnny Grubb, number four, and uh, the aforementioned Darren Jackson, fifth. Good list, man. That's a lot of fun. Uh, it really, really is. All right, we're going to uh, we'll do a little community talk here. we got Jeff Passon of ESPN coming up in a few minutes. But uh, one of the things I, I think is really important we've been trying to do on the show is, is to kind of remind ourselves and each other uh, that even with the COVID-19 taking place, there are other things important happening, things that don't stop happening, and, and perhaps in some cases, things that become more difficult because of the virus. Certainly, uh, foster care here in the San Diego community is a part of that. Uh, there's a wonderful organization in town, Voices for Children, and Kelly Capen Douglas of Voices for Children uh, joined us a little while ago. She's going to tell us about all the work that they are doing, and it is extraordinary. <laughs> Well, Kelly, thank you so much. We, we've been trying to shine, you know, some lights uh, in places perhaps where they, they need to be shown these days. Obviously, front and center in everybody's mind is the virus and, and what's going on there and how that's impacting all of our lives. But there are other things going on, other things that still require attention. So thank you uh, to you and your organization for, for doing as much of that as you are. Tell us a little bit uh, about how things have changed, you know, for you guys in the recent weeks and months, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, let me tell you a little bit about what we do at Voices for Children to put it into context, because COVID-19 has impacted our youth uh, and the children that we serve in pretty extraordinary ways. So at Voices for Children, what we do is we provide volunteer, specially trained advocates, court-appointed special advocates, or CASAs is what we call them. And what we do is when a child is removed from their home and they enter the foster care system, we match one of our CASAs with a child or with a sibling set. And that CASA advocates on that child's behalf for the duration of their time in foster care. So they spend time getting to know the child and then interacting with all of the people who help to um, support that child, whether it be social workers, attorneys, caregivers, biological parents, teachers, healthcare providers, um, all of those individuals so that our volunteers can determine what the child's needs are and then submit regular reports to the juvenile court um, so that the judges have as much information as possible to be able to make important decisions about the kid's future. So as you can imagine, this is a very scary time for kids. So having a consistent adult presence in their life when a lot of others are coming in and out of their life is super important. And for many of our children and youth in foster care, that consistent person is their CASA. And so with COVID-19, um, certainly our children and youth in foster care have really been disproportionately impacted by what has gone on. So these are kids who already have experienced so much trauma um, through abuse and neglect and then being removed from their homes and then having the uncertainty associated with being in a new home environment and perhaps moving from di- amongst different home environments, which often means changing schools. So for this population of kids, consistency and stability is really important. And so with COVID now, they don't have that. They're isolated in their their living environments, whether it be in group homes or with foster homes, resource family homes is what we call them now. 
um, and they're not going to school. Um, they have they now are restricted in their ability to have in-person visits with siblings who may live in different settings um, and also with their biological parents. They're, they often have more restrictions in terms of their ability to see them. And so the consistency that our volunteers can provide even remotely in this sort of environment is really something that's super important to this population of kids to help them to be able to respond to the anxiety and the the upending of their lives as a result of COVID-19. Uh, I really, really hope there are at least a large handful of people who are watching right now and listening right now and saying to themselves, boy, I would love to be involved in some way. How can I do that? So I'll, I'll allow you to answer that question in a moment. But first, uh, I want to ask, you know, how how big of a program is this? I mean, how how many kids are you all, you know, helping out here in our community? This year, this fiscal year, uh, in San Diego County, there have been about 3,400 children who have spent time in San Diego's foster care system. Voices for Children has provided services to all of them. We have about 1,020 active CASA volunteers who have provided CASA-level advocacy to almost 1,600 children in foster care. We provide services to the other, the remaining kids in different ways. So we have staff who provide advocacy to some of the kids who may not need the in-person visits and relationships of that the CASAs provide, but also can provide important information to the courts. And then we also monitor the rest of the cases. So the impact is, is broad, and we take great pride in the fact that we're able to really triage every single case that comes into the system and monitor each child's case until they, they exit the system. Broad and extraordinary. The website, by the way, for folks is speakupnow.org. Uh, so if someone were interested in volunteering, what are some of the different things, you know, the different ways that they might be able to become involved? Oh, thank you, Jesse. Well, the main way that people volunteer for us is by becoming a CASA. And so we now have virtual information sessions for people who are interested in learning about what it takes to become a CASA. There's no particular professional expertise that's needed. You don't have to be a lawyer um, or have any sort of legal or advocacy training. Um, we have, after the information session, there's an application process, an interview process, rigorous background checks. And then we have all of our um, CASA um, applicants go through, who are accepted into our Advocate University training program, go through 35 hours of training before they're then sworn in by one of our juvenile court judges they become an officer of the court, and then they're matched with a child, and they start their journey. Phenomenal work. And uh, someone who has uh, volunteered and been a part of this, a very familiar name, I think, to most people who are with us here tonight, and that's a former Padre, Mark Loretta. Uh, now I, I saw an interview that he did talking about his experience with the program. Uh, first of all, I, I had no idea. Uh, you know, I, I, I've seen Mark a lot of times over the last however many years. I, I, I just didn't know, you know, that this was a part of his life. Uh, he he was so, I thought, wonderful in talking about it and, and how impactful it had been to him and uh, his family and what they're able sort of uh, to push forward. But I, I thought that was such a neat thing uh, to hear that Mark's been involved. Uh, well, we're so grateful. You know, there were a lot of very busy people with big jobs and big responsibilities who care very deeply about this population of kids and choose to share their time. And so I think one of the silver linings of this COVID-19 crisis is that we really see so much good in our community. We see people who really want to step up and there are so many needs in our community. Our, our needs for our foster, foster children are certainly just one of the many um, urgent needs um, that our community is facing. And it's, it's such a delight for us at Voices for Children to provide a platform 
for people who really want to give back in a really authentic, meaningful way that's based on kind of the power of that relationship um, and the advocacy that we can provide because of those strong relationships between our volunteers and the kids they serve. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Again, the website, speakupnow.org. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and uh, getting some information out there for people. Uh, like we said, it's very, very easy to be focused on, on sort of the, the thing of the moment, uh, you know, with COVID-19, but there are such uh, other extraordinary things going on in the world right now and in our community right now. Thank you for everything you're doing. And, and again, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Jesse. Take care and go Padres. Kelly Cape and Douglas, uh, Voices for Children, just remarkable, uh, remarkable stuff. Big thank you to everybody uh, helping out with that. Bring back A.J. Casavell and Bob Scanlon for a little This Day in Baseball History. Uh, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 1975. I don't know if the term Cinco de Mayo was already being used in 1975, but whether it was or wasn't, Herb Washington uh, was released by the Oakland Athletics. And if you don't know the story of Herb Washington, you might gloss over that very quickly. But scans for me, uh, this is one of my favorite little weird baseball things of all time. And so, of course, it involves Charlie Finley, uh, the owner of the A's, <laughs> who was always involved in something a little bit different. So uh, this guy, Herb Washington, is like a world-class sprinter at Michigan State, nearly an Olympian. He's got all kinds of uh, school and conference records as a sprinter. So he had not played baseball since junior high uh, when Charlie Finley reaches out and says, hey, I want to sign you to a contract to be a pinch runner for us. And that is basically what happened in 1974. He signed with the A's to be the designated runner. Uh, if you look at this baseball card, look at his position in the baseball. <laughs> Pinch runner. He never appeared in the field. He never had a plate appearance. He was with them the entire 1974 season when, of course, they would win the World <laughs> Series beating the Dodgers before he was released on May 5th. 1975 scans this is up near the top of the list of things that would absolutely never happen today a guy playing more than a full year in the big leagues without a plate appearance or a or a, or a moment in the field yeah it's amazing and when you look at that baseball card you were mentioning he never had a plate appearance he never had an appearance in the field and based on the way he was stanced right there to try to steal a base i'm surprised he, he went he had a stolen base at all because <laughs> that front foot is actually closing him off. There's no chance he's going to get a good jump. I mean, this is this is so funny to think that you can just take a guy that's a great athlete, a great runner, and turn him into a specialty item of your club. But it made more sense back then. And one of the reasons is because you have to remember the rosters were structured a little bit differently back then. You didn't have as many pitchers, right? Starting pitchers were going an entire game. You didn't need seven or eight guys in your bullpen. So you were able to have a little bit of a deeper bench. I love the creativity. Uh, the results, I don't know, 29 stolen bases and 16 times caught stealing. Um, I don't know if it really it, it played out. But we did the same thing, Jesse, when I was with the Cubs with our September call-ups. We had a player, Cedric Hunter, who was an okay hitter, but he was super fast. And so we called him up in September simply for that reason, to have him as a pinch runner. And it worked out. There were five or six times where we weren't able to put him on base, got himself into scoring position, and scored late in the ballgame. So if you got the roster depth, who knows? It might happen. And with rosters possibly expanding right now, as we start to, there's talk about that. Maybe we'll see more guys that are sort of specialists in this area. AJ, have you seen anything like that before? Well, we've seen it a little bit with guys like Terrence Gore that have yeah. been important on postseason rosters. But I'll, I'll contend that the difference between the guy on your team and Herb Washington is that they have experience with baseball, with baseball situations, with instincts. It takes a whole lot more to be a, a, an elite pinch runner than just speed. You need to understand situations. You need to understand how to get jumps. You need to understand when to go. And 
I, I, th- I think just looking at these numbers, 16 caught stealings, 29 steals, unless you're stealing in the perfect situation every time, that's a horrible ratio. That's not, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to be good enough for a baseball team. And so I think even though the A's, the A's did win the World Series. So, I, I mean, it, it clearly worked out for them and they had the extra roster space for it. But if you're going to do this, I think we, we see it with Fernando Tatis Jr. If you're just lining up a bunch of guys and saying, go run a 40, Tatis would finish pretty high on the list, but he's probably not number one. But I think you could also make a case that he's the best base runner in the major leagues. And that it's not just because of his speed. It takes more than just speed to be an elite base runner. Couple of, a couple of notes, by the way, on, on Herb Washington. 105 career games, all as a pinch runner. If you take pitchers out of it, the next most games anyone has ever played without a plate appearance nine and he had uh he had 105 uh he he often it seemed like including in his major league debut on opening day of 74 ran for joe rudy the left fielder uh that was the case in, in probably herb washington's most famous or infamous moment you go to that 74 world series against the dodgers this would actually be the only game that the dodgers won in the series so the a's win the world series he doesn't cost them a ring or anything like that but you see the garb is there so a couple of michigan state guys mm-hmm. chatting it up and uh, that's Mike Marshall, a third Michigan State guy on the mound for the Dodgers. Here's the disadvantage as AJ talks about the success rate. Everybody knows when he comes in, he's trying to steal. But he gets picked off. He gets picked <laughs> off in the World Series as a pinch runner. That's probably the thing that Herb Washington is most known for. Uh, and uh, there you go. DJ was all over that. Uh, the, the rest of the story, if you will, by the way, he went on to have a very successful business career, owns a bunch of McDonald's franchises in New York State. Uh, he's on the board of several companies, that kind of stuff. A fascinating footnote in baseball history. Herb Washington released on this date by the A's in 1975. All right, not going to make you wait any longer for Jeff Passan of ESPN. Had an absolutely stellar conversation with this guy uh, earlier this afternoon. Uh, he's very, very busy, and I took up a lot of his time. So, Jeff, A, thank you. B, I'm sorry. C, hope everybody enjoys. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. You may very well be the busiest man in baseball these days. We're seeing you all over at uh, television and uh, in writing and, of course, on social media and now here with us on Social Hour. So thank you very much. We even saw you in the middle of the night last night talking baseball in Korea, things we would not have predicted six months ago. How did you enjoy that experience last night? I think things we would have not predicted like six days ago either. It's been really interesting seeing what the evolution of the baseball season has been like. And while... We don't have baseball here right now in the United States. At least the game is being played somewhere. And we're really lucky on ESPN to be broadcasting the KBO games right now because it gives us at least a little taste of what we're supposed to have right now as May starts and as we get into the middle of summer and we're used to having baseball every day. And it was kind of surreal. You know, I'm sitting here in my home office at two o'clock in the morning and I have a suit on. I was probably trying a little too hard to be honest, but I've been accused of that before. I'm probably going to be accused of that right now, being in a suit as well. And and talking about uh, a league that I've really only become familiar with over the last month. And that was in preparation for the possibility that there was going to be no major league baseball getting to know uh, about the Korean league, about uh, some of the KBO players and about what we're going to see. It was honestly, Jesse, like throwback baseball. It was lower velocity. It was clean fielding. It was 
it, it was Major League Baseball like 20 years ago. And it just shows the, the interesting evolution that's taken place in MLB over these last couple of decades that have made the game what it is right now. That's a really, really good and fascinating take because I feel like too much of the conversation has been focused on what level it is. And people want to know, hey, is it more like double A AA or triple A baseball? That's irrelevant because it's all we've got. It's entertaining. It's fun to watch. We make a great point about the style of game. It's not three true outcomes all the time like we've sort of become accustomed to. No, it's not. And a lot of the things that I think have gone and caused that just are not in Korean baseball quite yet. You know, we, we broadcast the game last night between uh, the NC Dinos and the Samsung Lions. And while Drew Chinsky, the pitcher for the Dinos, was out there like 90 to 92, uh, the pitchers, all of them on the Lions were like 85, 86, 87, you know, maybe topping out at 90. I went and looked. Uh, 93 miles per hour is a pretty reasonable threshold because that's what the average fastball in Major League Baseball is right now. There were 545 pitchers who threw at least 20 innings in the big leagues last year, and more than 300 of them had an average fastball of above 93 miles per hour. Of the players and the pitchers in the Korean League this year, I believe it was six of them, six in the whole league, Average 93 plus on their fastballs, and not one of them had a fastball of more than 95 miles per hour on average. So when you have that, when you have uh, the the burgeoning analytics environment there uh, that hasn't completely taken over like it has in Major League Baseball, uh, when you have the the lack of swing plane and and the launch angle revolution that's happened here, and that's just not part of Korean baseball right now. You have all these different elements that lead to a completely different game and, and one that kind of felt cool. Like, uh, am I watching a throwback right now? Like, this is really kind of an enjoyable brand of baseball that I just haven't seen in a long time. Fascinating uh, stuff. Really good insight there. Jeff Passon of ESPN, uh, they're broadcasting a, a game of night in the KBO, uh, replaying them during the uh, the more normal afternoon hours. Uh, Jeff involved with that last night with Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez. By the way, just from like a, a technical and a broadcast standpoint, I, I was so impressed with the way you guys were able to put everything together. That is so near impossible. I don't know that most people realize that sitting at home, trying to do it. And, and you guys were, were, were stellar. It was like, I didn't realize it until, you know, I've only been with ESPN for a year and change now. I had no idea what goes into the type of broadcast. Like, and, and I look back at what we did and I say we as a company with the NFL draft, it, it was the most amazing piece of, of technical uh, amazement that I've seen. Like, it was incredible the way that they were just able to logistically put all of these things together and make a salient broadcast out of it. And that's what I feel like we did last night. The, the beautiful part of it for us is that this is not just a one-off. We're going to be doing this, like you said, six days a week. There's going to be a lot of Korean baseball on ESPN airwaves. And I hope that, you know, in the absence of Major League Baseball fans get to look at that and say, hey, whether it's adopting a team or whether it's appreciating particular players or just the style of baseball, at least we've got something to tie us over until MLB comes back. And that's it. We we hopped on the KT Wiz bandwagon, if there is such a thing, several weeks ago on this show. So we're all in. We've been, we've been breaking them down. Uh, I have a question about going back to MLB now for a little bit, and I hope this doesn't sound flip. I certainly don't intend it to, but 
Um, is as you're reporting everything that you're hearing and you're learning and you're finding out about the future of baseball in 2020, whatever that may be or not be, does it go into your head when you're doing your job that this is going to be blown out of proportion by the vast number of people who read it uh, and, and who consume it? Because, I mean, it, it's got to be a little bit of a weird spot to be in. It's daunting, certainly. And I'll take it one step further and not to try and be like grandiose here, but I'm also reporting on history right now. Yeah. Like we're in the middle of something that we're going to look back on later in our lives. And this will be a true remember when moment. And and for a lot of people, a really scary moment. And for a lot of people, a harrowing moment. And that's why I think uh, people are grasping at the idea of baseball and all sports coming back so much because normalcy is something that is not in abundance right now. And sports is American normalcy. It is, it is the most normal thing to us in our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly lives. Uh, a lot of people can tell where we are in the year based on what sport is being played, what championship is being contended for, all of these other things. And so I think that's the reason that people want sports back so much so they can feel some semblance of what we had before coronavirus existed. And I understand in that same respect that people are going to grab onto whatever they want out of what I report and take from it what they will, which is why I'm trying the best I can not to be sensationalistic, not to go grabbing headlines, not to be chasing things like that, but to be responsible and understanding that, you know, the, the elevated emotions right now for sports fans, you, you have to keep those in mind and be as responsible as you possibly can. Uh, a couple of probably impossible to answer questions I'll ask you anyway. Uh, let's say there's relative normalcy in 2021. How different do you think baseball, capital B baseball, could look as compared to what we last saw? Oh, man. I, you know, I have learned that trying to project tomorrow is a really arduous task and trying to project next week is impossible. So the idea that I have any clue of what baseball is going to look like in 21, it's, it's tough to say. But... You know, the, the financial issues and the way that uh, that COVID-19 is affecting the sport, that is very real. And it is going to be something that I think has reverberations for years to come, both inside of ownership groups, as well as filtering down eventually to the players. So is free agency going to be changed? So we're going to see more guys signing long-term contract extensions at reduced rates. Uh, oh, by the way, we have a collective bargaining agreement that's up at the end of 2021, and that's going to be negotiated in earnest as the year goes on. So, uh, I mean, from that respect, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how all of that shakes out. The game itself, uh, you know, we don't have a full season right now. So it's going to be interesting to see just how representative these numbers are and how some of the changes that are inevitably going to be made to the game, if it does come back this year, uh, whether those are going to carry over into 2021 and what kind of effect they're going to have on particular segments of players and individuals. I could talk baseball with Jeff Passon uh, literally for hours and hours, but I would not subject him to that 
Before we let you go, though, could could you take us behind the scenes a little bit? I saw you do this on Twitter a few weeks back. Very entertaining. That is a sensational looking home office uh, that you have there. I see your book, which, by the way, is one of the most uh, important baseball books, I think, of the last quarter century over your right shoulder there, the arm. It should be a must read for any serious baseball fan if they haven't already. But that's not actually a book back there, is it? No, it's not. And I uh, listen Adrian Morjanowski, who uh, is the, the greatest at the particular job that I do in the world, covers basketball for us. And, uh, you know, some people at ESPN said, hey, take us into your office. Show us what it is. And so I went and I did a video uh, about this. And our graphic people are really good. But I'm just going to watch the ripple. <laughs> This is not the matrix behind me right now. This is actually, uh, you know, this is not a, I can't grab the Wu-Tang record right here. No, it's, it's really not real. And Woj, Woj, I, he said it on Twitter, I think, after he texted me. And he texted me saying, that was not your secret to tell. <laughs> and I felt really bad because Woj, Woj is like... Well, it's like a combination of like older brother and and like stern dad. And I just I do not want to disappoint him. And if it wasn't my secret to tell, then I shouldn't have told it. But you guys are seeing it right here. So somebody it's funny. After last night, somebody on Twitter, my DMs are open, as many Padres fans know, because they love to ask me like about tacos and about this guy named Emilio Hernandez on Twitter, who I like to roast all the time. And uh, somebody last night slid into the DMs and said, is your background fake? And I said, well, it is made out of carbon. So technically, it is not fake. But in terms of it being like, uh, like a beautiful wooden shelf with all sorts of knickknacks and leather-bound books and rich mahogany... Shout out Ron Burgundy. No, definitely not that. Yeah, I I see Ricky back there. I think I see Roberto Clemente. I see the Fisk Homer. I mean, you got some good stuff, but it's it's real only. Oh, no, Bo's out of the shop. There's the Bo Jackson scorecard. There's an old school Nintendo. Like, it's a, I I love this backdrop. (laughs) I I absolutely adore it. And uh, I think people get to respond to it too a little bit. Definitely. They see up oh, wrong shoulder. They see the range against the machine there, and they're like, "Okay, Jeff, you, uh, you may have a uh, kind of kind of too much product in your hair, and you may be wearing a suit, but you know, back in the day, like we we knew where you were thinking." Yeah. Uh, did you? So you got to pick the stuff then? I did. I yeah. actually, you know what? The records back there are uh, all by bands uh, that I listen to when I'm writing. So I have listened. What I do when I'm writing is I put my headphones on and I click through just there's probably 10 to 12 albums that I will just listen to start to finish on repeat. And it turns into white noise. And these are a few of them back there. There you go. The story behind the storyteller. Great stuff, man. I really do appreciate the time so much. Uh, Continue to stay Safe, healthy, sane, and uh, keep up all the wonderful work. Uh, you, you've been doing a great service for baseball fans as uh, we all try and navigate through this thing uh, together. Same to you, Jesse. Thank you for having me. And uh, looking forward to seeing baseball back out there and to finally running 
my Fernando Tatis Jr. story that I have been working on all winter, going down to the Dominican Republic to go visit him. It's a little bit of a tease, but it's going to be really good stuff. So keep an eye out for that. Jeff Passion of ESPN doing incredible work. And uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly, as you can probably tell, enjoyed that conversation. Thanks again for Jeff. That was long. Uh, and I appreciate him hanging. Uh, and how about that little tease, the Tati story coming for him uh, at some point? He wins the backdrop of the year uh, award, certainly. I, I love the story of Woj uh, scolding him for giving out the secret. We are all dealing, I believe, the three of us, Bob Scanlon, AJ Castle. These are all real three-dimensional backgrounds. We're not as cool as he is. Uh, but AJ, can will you play the guitar? By the way, every week, can we can we get a couple chords? No, that guitar is there for when I'm when I like. I, I love hearing about Jeff's writing process because I love hearing about the process of different writers. That guitar is there for when I get stopped for like five minutes. I just pull it down and play a little bit, and hopefully my mind gets cleared a little bit, and then I can get back to writing. Do you write with music on the way he was describing? Yes, and I. I wholly relate to the idea of music that you've heard a thousand times before so it's not new and interesting it just becomes white noise in the background but it's something soothing so yes i i also listen to music see that's the key though you said it was soothing aj and he had rage against the machine on there that doesn't make me focus on writing i'm, I'm impressed but if you've heard if you've heard it a hundred times and you and there's not going to be any surprises there's not gonna be anything new in it then <laughs> and you know maybe maybe depending on the type of story maybe you want maybe you want rage against the machine <laughs> That's a good point. That's true. You got to get yourself all uh, fired up. All right. One song you like to play, Casabelle. My go-to is Doc of the Bay, Otis Redding. That's my oh. first time I ever played oh. an open mic. It was, it was Otis Redding. Oh, 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 hold on now. You've played open mics. Not in years. Not in a long time. Uh, that's not, that's not a thing that I do anymore. Ten, maybe. And when was the most recent? Seven or eight years ago when I played a lot more guitar. Huh. Huh. Maybe hey, that's maybe impressive. If 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 this social hour show goes on long enough without a baseball season and fans are really dying for entertainment, may, there's a chance. Maybe I, I feel like we said that the first week, and we said, "Hey, if it's still going on, like Cinco de Mayo, you got to take." That's not. Yeah, if you can find the, if you can find the, the, the clip of that, maybe. But <laughs> uh, Jesse, make that right. a prerequisite. I'll be on every week. He's got to play if he wants to come back on. That's got to be the new rule. I'm with scans. I'm with scans. We'll yeah. we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Uh, how about that? All right. Uh, a couple of quickies uh, before we go, including some phenomenal Mark Grant footage in a minute. First, though, I thought this was really neat. Obviously, grocery shopping has become something uh, far more complicated than most of us ever imagined it could be. Uh, Padres Foundation got together with Albertsons and Vons today. Earlier, you know, they're doing senior hours uh, at a lot of grocery stores uh, to allow folks, uh, you know, above a certain age to come in before the store is open to the general public. And uh, today at a Vons and an Albertsons, Padres Foundation bought groceries for every single person who went through uh, at those two stores during senior hours. So uh, I thought that was really very special and see folks getting certificates. And uh, that that's quite a surprise, obviously, when you get to the register uh, and, and a neat one. I just wanted to make sure to point that out. I thought that was really special work being done uh, by the Padres and the Padres Foundation. All right. Coming up tonight at seven o'clock on Fox Sports San Diego, we dig into the archives. The year was 1989. And the Giants and the Padres get together. The most interesting thing, theoretically at least, about this game is that late in 89, of course, uh, Will Clark and Tony Gwynn are kind of fighting for the batting title in the National League. So ostensibly, that's what this is all about. You know, these two guys coming down the stretch, what's going to happen, who's going to win the batting title, everything like that. However, 
However, from my own personal and selfish perspective, that takes a backseat to the fact uh, that one Mud Grant ends up featuring and factoring very prominently in this game. Not to give away too many spoilers or anything, but the Mudcat comes out of the bullpen, and uh, not only does he end up picking up the win in relief, but Mark Grant uh, ends up, I believe, as the winning pitcher in this game when all was said and done. He was great in relief. He went five innings out of the bullpen, allowed a run on three hits. He struck out six. Uh, He entered a sticky situation with a couple of guys in scoring position. Nobody out. Worked around it. Uh, The Mudcat (laughs) used that, that big fastball, that power curve to silence the Giants. How about this? He comes into the game, runners on second and third, nobody out. He struck out Kevin Mitchell, struck out Matt Williams, struck out Candy Maldonado. That's pretty good, man. That's good. Thanks to Jeff Pratt for all the information, by the way. So I, I didn't have to look any of that up. He even comes in to score a run on this ground ball by by Tony Gwynn. How about the Jackets? Yes. <laughs> I love the whole act. I mean, after that strikeout, he's he's pimping around out there and licking his fingers and saying, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> I love it. He's got double nickels on his back, and he throws five innings that day for the win and scores a run. You know, if he tried to do that nowadays, Jesse, he'd have a blowing hamstring. We know this. But uh, good to see the Mudcat in his prime. This is good stuff. Reaches on the fielder's choice. He'll get the jacket coming to score, as you saw there. Matt Williams, by the way, is he managing in Korea? Did I read that? I think he is. Yes, uh, he did. But, yeah. I think the Kia yeah. Tigers. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I, I hadn't realized that until this week. But any any chance to dust off this footage. And again, if you go and watch the game from 1989, I imagine the telecast is going to be focusing Robbie Alomar mainly on, uh, you know, the, the batting title in the National League, an award that would eventually bear the name of Tony Gwynn. Not that he could have known that then. But for us, selfishly, as he puts his arm around Kevin Mitchell, this is about Mark Grant looking fine in brown and doing an excellent job. That is the million-dollar question, though, from from Wesley Manning. Mark Grant <laughs> did have hair once upon a time. He absolutely did. Yeah, wow. that jacket was sleek. I think I, that that jacket, I think everyone in San Diego should rock something like that, especially now that the Browns back. Sign me up. Uh, big thank you to, uh, to Bob and AJ, gentlemen, uh, for joining us. Always uh, great talking ball with both of you guys. Make sure to check out AJ's story on the top center fielders. Uh, and Padres history on MLB.com. Scan, you're looking good in your three-dimensional background. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I, I enjoyed that. Appreciate it, guys. Jesse, always great to talk ball with you. AJ, you as well. Keep up the great work. Loving the articles. All yeah, right, thanks, so thanks. thanks, Scan. Thanks, Jesse, too. Um, just wanted to say, Jesse, I didn't get a chance to at, at the time, but your interview with Kelly was great. Uh, my wife, Emily, uh, was a CASA for Voices for Children, probably the most one of the most rewarding things she's ever done. So I'd encourage anyone who's in a position where they're considering it uh, to to delve into it, to look into it. Uh, you know, I'd like to add one more point yeah. to that as well. My stepmother, actually, and I'm glad you, you revisited that, AJ, was a CASA for about 15 years. And during that time, it was amazing to hear the stories that she came back with, both heartbreaking and heartwarming of the difference that she was able to make in these young kids' lives. And they really make a huge difference to help these kids, not only in difficult situations, but through the judicial system. And the judges listen to what these CASAs have to say. They're a, a huge factor in terms of helping these kids. So great job with that interview, Jesse, and certainly a great cause. No, that's stellar. And thank you both for adding uh, the personal touch to all of that. Sorry, we kind of blew past it earlier, but really neat to hear scan about your stepmom and and AJ about your wife, Emily. Really, really special stuff. If you missed that interview, uh, go check it out. Voices for Children uh, is the organization. Uh, I want to end on on this. Thanks also, of course, to to Kelly and to Jeff Passon for joining. Um, You know, 
we, we've been trying to normalize things best we can on this show and just sort of talk about baseball and make everybody feel a little regular, you know, for like an hour a night or whatever it ends up being. But I, I think every once in a while, it's important to say, you know, hey, we know how tough it is right now. And, and that might mean financially for people with jobs. That might mean from a health standpoint, uh, might mean just psychologically and socially and trying to get through the days. And, and we never want to just sort of uh, pretend that that isn't going on in the background or more likely in the foreground for a lot of people. So uh, just know we're, we're here to help. We're trying to do, you know, what we can to, to make things a little normal for you. But we know it's tough out there for a lot of folks uh, and, and some tougher than others, obviously. So we're thinking about everybody. Hope you stay healthy. Hope you can stay uh, as well as possible in these challenging times. We'll do this uh, again tomorrow at 5.30. Hope you'll be able to join us. Have a great night, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.